Here we go. So today is June 23rd, Thursday. It's noon. And this is uh, an episode of Tell Me About Your Tech Job, uh, the podcast that we're creating along with this class, iTech 350 for summer 2022, Southern Illinois University Information Technology Program. And today, um, our guest is James Bayer. And James um, is a, you're a Southern Illinois native, right? No, actually, I came down here in uh, 97 to go to SIU and then stayed. Okay, so a transplant slash now kind of a, you know, native uh, home home guy, local yeah. guy. Um, a lot of people did that. My in-laws did that, came down to Southern Illinois, came down to Carbondale and never left. You did that too, Monica? Gotcha. <laughs> So um, I've, I've met James um, through uh, like the John A. Logan advisory board meetings. Um, I think he's had a couple of students come through his place of business and, and the name Mayor Networks is one I've seen um, for a long time. It, it is uh, a, an IT firm that's well established here in Carbondale serving Southern Illinois. I'll let him talk about that, but it's a name that has grown and you've seen more and more. And I'm, I'm passing one of your guys um, on the road to and from work uh, often now in one of your vehicles, uh, James. Um, I'm not sure who he is. Guy with a beard. Um, Got a couple of them with big beards. <laughs> yeah, one of the guys with big beards. I'm passing him on, on the county on Skyhawk Road. So um, nice. anyway, uh, welcome, James. Um, I'm glad to have you here. This is cool. I really like having people um, who come from kind of a supporting customers um, experience and background because you learn so much and you see so many different things when you're bouncing around between different large, medium, small customers, different industries, different approaches to managing technology. And, and so um, we'll talk all about that. But I guess to get started, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, and then we'll get into the technology side of things. Sure. Um... Well, as I said, I came down in 97 to go to SIU. I didn't know where I wanted to go except for to get the farthest away from my parents that I could. So that was that was Southern. Okay, um, was that Chicago area? Uh, actually from uh, Peoria. Oh, cool. I, I lived in Naperville pretty much my entire life, but then uh, my parents were moving to Peoria right when I was basically heading for college. So it's kind of, you know, one or the other, you know, so. Gotcha, okay. um, good choice. Yeah, so I came down here and um, didn't know what I wanted to do, you know, started taking the core classes and whatnot, and then started getting really interested in computers and, you know, somehow found my way with it. Um, I was one of the first kids to start their hacking courses. Um, I was part of a, of a group of maybe five or six where we were asked to basically kind of build the curriculum, okay? And, and keep in mind, this is back in the days of like Windows NT4, <laughs> you know, this is like old school stuff. Um, and we were basically told to go have fun with SIU's network and see what we could break. It's basically what we were told to do. So we did, you know, crazy, stupid things like made all the printers print and other buildings and things like that. We were shutting down machines remotely, just basically screwing with everybody. It was just a lot of fun. Uh, Martin Habel back in the day had an IIS server that used to run the IST department's website and we took it down. <laughs> okay. he, he didn't appreciate that too much. Um, so. But uh, so yeah, uh, after SIU, I think I graduated in 2001, 2002, something like that. Um, I was working for, you know, a couple of just local computer stores. My girlfriend at the time, who's, who's now my wife, 
Uh, she had another year left. So I was just kind of hanging out in limbo, you know, didn't know what to do. Um, kind of got my start with computers, like I said, at computer stores. And then one day I decided, you know what, I can, I can do this better than, than my boss can. And Mayor Networks was pretty much at that point formed and um, went from in the, one of the, I worked for two computer stores. One was just basically like residential stuff. And then the second one, these guys did a little bit of on-site stuff. Like it was the place to work. It was called computer warehouse back in the day. And it was the place that you wanted to work at um, just simply because they seemed to do more. They were, they were bigger, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, but uh, I decided at one point after I went from being just a in-shop technician to an on-site tech to the to the manager and on-site tech and then I was the guy getting landing the new clients and stuff like that I just decided I can do this on my own and um, so I did and you know one client turned into to two and two turned into four and it probably took me about four years to be able to hire my first employee and you know here we are roughly 18 19 years later and um she's now there's 18 employees and mayor networks and we we service 175 or so businesses and government agencies um we're taking on a lot of government um and uh it's been a it's been a fun ride it certainly has been a massive learning experience not only just in the it realm but you know it's project management it's customer management it's how do you run a business how do you make it profitable how do you how, 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 you know, tons of it. Um, right now I'm considering buying a new building because I'm almost out of space and it's scaring me to death to know that I'm about to pick up a mortgage for like $1.2 million, <laughs> you know? So it's just, it's everything is just scary as hell, but all you can do is keep moving forward, you know? So, um, but in a nutshell, that's kind of my history at this point. So that's, that's pretty neat. And, and I, uh, I kind of knew some of this, but um, I also got kind of started um, in IT in the Carbondale computer shop scene back in like 96, 97, working oh, wow. on blue chip micro, uh, cyber systems. Uh, I interviewed at uh, Computer Warehouse and mm. was actually poached from them to go work with them, the, the KVM guys that started uh, in the little storefront just across the parking lot from Computer Warehouse. <laughs> and and that was uh, an experience that kind of was not what I was expecting. I, I ended up, um, those guys, I would come in on Saturdays and I would have to clean up their Keystone light cans and cigarette butts um, on the shop tray, uh, shop, you know, uh, tables and stuff. Yeah. Um, and and that place didn't go for very long. They they laid me off one afternoon, and they laid me off. But they said we're gonna stop. But could you at least fix all the rest of the computers before you go? <laughs> so that's uh you know and 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 I think having the experiences of um, that time and that era. I mean, would you? It, it was definitely different back then than it is today. Um, you know, yeah. bus businesses were learning that they needed technology um, mm. and, and they were dipping their toes in and, and businesses were oftentimes getting their first start with networks and high speed Internet. And it was kind yeah. of cool to be able to work with that. Um, when I went as in Chicago, I worked for another consulting group and it was the beginning of Wi-Fi. So, you know, learning <laughs> Wi-Fi and exploring yeah. the technologies and seeing what tanked and which 
product lines were put out that absolutely didn't work. And it was a fun time. And, and I think you and I are both in kind of the age bracket where we really got to see this boom and the explosion of technology as a kind of neat feature to have in your business to help to being what it is today, which is essential. Yeah. Um, and, and so maybe tell us a, a little bit about how um, you know, what, what Mayor Networks does, um, because you guys have grown and you do a lot of things now. So what, what did you do? What do you do? So uh, it all started with basically just offering uh, on-site support, you know, where we bill hourly. We take care of people's servers or networks. Um, you know, it was really at the beginning, it was just kind of basic stuff. Um, off-site backups hadn't, wasn't really a thing, you know, when we first got started. Um, and, but we take care of people's servers, you know, did a little remote desktop stuff. Um, when it was just me, you know, for the longest time, uh, really kind of grasping onto just a few clients. And, but these days, uh, gosh, we still have our, our onsite support stuff, obviously. Um, but now we don't do, we pretty much don't do any hourly support. Everything is down an MSP line. So uh, it's a flat reoccurring fee and we, we include a bunch of different things, whatever they need. It can get you know, can get a little hairy with all the different services that we've got. But um, so now we're down this MSP path where we're doing the monitoring, we're doing things like offsite backups, and we're using our own data center for that. We're the only IT firm Southern Illinois that actually has their own data center that's fully redundant, you know, running Hyper-V clusters and dual fiber lines. We even own our own block of IPs that we purchased from Aaron, you know. Um, we run BGP protocols between ClearWave and Mediacom, you know, fiber and I mean, so we're data centers definitely grown. That's for sure. You're doing. Um, yeah, the um, onsite support's been fun. You always can't get called into the wrong time where there's a lot of work to do. Um, the support side has been crazy because we've had to learn to deal with governments and regulations, and we have to attend these DOJ meetings and FBI meetings and all this other crap we've got to go to, and we have very specific CGIS training that we have to go through. Um, that qualifies us for government uh, contracts and use and whatnot. Um, then with the uh, data center, we do things like virtual desktop hosting, where we've got, I think, probably about 50, 60 or so businesses that basically lease a virtual server from us. Uh, again, it's all sitting in a fully redundant environment, and they don't have any servers in their office anymore. They simply log into us, and it could be anywhere from two or three users. I think our largest right now is about 130 people uh, on one server. Um, so they, they can get, they can be very small, they can be very large. Um, we also do, um, when I have time to, I don't actually advertise too much that I do it, but I've been working with Microsoft SharePoint for probably 15 years and I can build just about anything in Microsoft SharePoint. I, I like it, but it's a huge pain in the butt and it takes a lot of my time and uh, time that I really don't have. So we do host a few website or a few SharePoint sites that I have built. I uh, built like a, an EHR site. I built a couple of sites for lawyers, so for a couple of law firms, so they can keep tabs on their uh, their clients and their cases and things like that. Um, we have one client that uses it that um, they do all the drug testing of all the local labor unions in Southern Illinois, and that's where they keep tabs of all of their their drug testing. And uh, so again, I, I enjoy it, but I just don't have the time for it. Um, one of the other bigger things that we do uh, with the data center is we use it as a hot site. Uh, we use Veeam Backup and Replication. So we have all of our government agencies and, and some other larger clients that basically replicate to us 
on an every couple hour schedule. And at a moment's notice, we can actually turn their, you know, their servers on inside of our data center and provide them access in a variety of different ways, whether it be some sort of remote desktop access or VPN access, or I know one of our clients has got a whole other site that they have up and running that nobody's there with computers. And we'll simply just make a VPN over to that site once, you know, once we have to fail over. So um, the disaster recovery side is pretty, pretty big. Um, the, some of the other things we've gotten into because of being an MSP are things like dual factor authentication, which we've had to heavily get into. Um, we've always provided antivirus for our clients, but now we are actually providing Sentinel-1, which is uh, like the heavy duty ransomware protection and antivirus. It's all behavioral learning stuff. It's quite fascinating. The, the tools we have now are, are ludicrous compared to what we had even two years ago. Um, so. We do some uh, we do some camera installations. They're pretty rare. We don't advertise them very much. It's kind of like a if an, if an existing client wants us, you know, to to do something, we will. Um, let's see what else we got. I almost feel like I have to look at our website. Oh, uh, Microsoft Exchange hosting. We do that. We've got roughly fifteen hundred or so users on it at the moment. Um, the biggest kick with us is that all the governments are using it for us because they. There's FOIA requests, there's other security requests, secure email things um, that I, if you go through Microsoft 365 actually costs too much uh, for a lot of the local governments to be able to afford, surprisingly, like counties and things like that. So, mm -hmm. um, so primarily we have data center stuff that we do or some kind of hosting, or we have our, our MSP side um, and both are, are, are growing. Uh, astoundingly, uh, the data center side has really grown over the last five, six, seven years. Um, but the MSP side keeps pushing back. Like the uh, like the client I was mentioning that we picked up yesterday, it's, they're very large around West Frankfurt. Um, I'd say about six months ago, we picked up all of City of Carbondale. So we handle everything for the City of Carbondale. Now we're getting ready to redo their entire infrastructure from the ground up. And wow. that's normally what happens, you know, when we come into a client. So. Sometimes it feels like we get called in at that last possible moment that the last string is there holding everything together, you know? So, but, um, so in a nutshell, for the most part, that's, that's what we do. We do have, a, I, I do, I forgot. Uh, we do have a branding division. They do yeah, like websites yeah. and social media and stuff. Um, they're very small. It's only three people. And again, though it's, it's more of a, of an offering for our existing clients. You know, um, some of our government clients were really wanting when they were releasing RFPs to take over their uh, IT, they wanted a company that could do the web stuff. And so very quickly, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, I got together the branding side and um, hired a few people to start it so we could see where it would go, et cetera. And now it just kind of hangs out there pretty much for our IT clients. Uh, they don't get too many clients on their own. It's really just for if we have, have some clients that have their web design stuff in our main IT agreements, and that's what they wanted to do. So, um, willing to do anything for anybody to, if, as long as the numbers make sense, you know? So, but I guess in a nutshell, that's pretty much what we do today. Okay. So. And, and I guess I didn't specifically say this in this talk so far, but, but you're the owner, you're the founder, you're the top dog over at Mayor Networks. I mean, yeah. name, it's got your name. And yeah. so, so, so that's, that's who we're speaking with guys. And, and you said you've got 18 employees approximately yeah. now. Your, yep. your, your reach is all of Southern Illinois, but our, out of Carbondale? Yeah, I mean, our, our farthest client away is about three hours north where one of our clients is down here. 
they've got 16, 17 locations. And one of them is, I don't even know the name of the town, but it's like three hours north. Um, the only other further away one we've got, we, we do have uh, City of Urbana. We're in a project with them right now, redoing redoing their infrastructure. We're not day-to-day -day IT support. We're there for uh, a high availability project with all their core servers and networking is what we're, what we're stepping in to handle for them. And then more than likely we'll be backing out. It's just a project. So, but uh, yeah, that's about as far as we go. We do have, you know, we do go as far as Evansville. We've got uh, a couple of clients over in Belleville, Waterloo area. Uh, don't really have anybody down into the Kentucky area or Cairo or anything. We don't really go that direction. It's mostly been east and west and north. So, okay. so one thing I, that you mentioned when we were talking a little bit ago that I thought was an interesting fact and had me kind of reflect on was uh, that you don't really have hourly customers anymore. You no. know, and that used to be the standard way that that people would get their IT done. And I, I can see that that might sound appealing to some people. Hey, I only have to pay, you know, for one hour, you know, this month and, and two hours next month. But but it really doesn't take into consideration the, you know, the, the constant need to update and to monitor and track and ensure things are working properly. Yeah. And so I can see the shift to a more of a contracted out uh, this many hours per month um, being a benefit to both you guys because you can keep things running smoothly the whole month and have a, a more appealing agreement with your customer. But then the customer, by having you guys there regularly, is getting preventative maintenance. You guys are on top of things. It's not like they're coming. They're not calling you you know, every three months because there's a ton of stuff that's backed up and everything's not working good. And then you've got to fix it and have a big bill show up that they didn't expect. Yeah. Now you guys come in and you make an agreement. We're going to help you this much per month and you just make sure things work. And it's probably, yeah. um, that's a good business model. Is, is it for the Southern Illinois community and the, the, the folks that you kind of target as your customers? I'm sorry. Ask that question again. It's it, the business model has worked for you. It's in, yeah. and, and it's, and it's allowed you to kind of grow because more and more, like we said before, as, as clients, as small businesses in, you know, a fairly rural area realize they've got to get more IT stuff to do things as more people yeah. need computers, you know, and more, more people that 10 years ago did their job and didn't need computers today need to have a computer in front of them in order mm -hmm. to do that thing because it's web or cloud-based. Yeah. And, and so you've got to have the people and, and Mayor Networks comes in and does the job of making sure that all those workstations are updated and have the AV and fixes them when they go down and all that type of stuff. It, it was really difficult at the time to move from an hourly support basis with clients uh, to this you know, flat rate you know, every single month thing because you didn't really know if was it going to work, are we going to survive? Is, are we going to make enough money, you know, to keep the doors open? I mean, it, it was, it was pretty scary, but you know, these days uh, it's so common. Um, and I don't really ever turn anybody away. I mean, if we, if we have a client that really wants us, but wants to go hourly only, you know, then I'll let them go hourly, but it's very rare that that even happens because, right. you know, I tell clients flat out, first off, hourly is nothing but a negative. Okay. Because it's a negative because you're only going to get called when there's a problem, when they're mad. They're going to blame you for the problem because that's just what happens in IT. Okay. Well, it's, it, things just don't always work all fact, the time. It's fact, just not fact, how it goes. Fact. Yeah. So um, it's always our problem. 
And yet then they get a bill for it. So now they're even more mad. And if it doesn't get fixed in a very small dollar amount of time, then suddenly you're even more of the asshole, you know? And so it was, it's just a negative all in all. Um, and mayor networks or really any IT company can't run without knowing what's our budget going to be of what we can afford to hire. Who can we hire? What can we afford to do? Um, just yesterday when I was meeting with this new client, um, I said, look, you know, our, he's not, he was not used to, he was used to paying hourly rates. I don't know what he was paying, but he was paying somebody hourly to come in and fix everything. And, and we went over the laundry list of everything that was wrong with the network. And, and I said, look, you know, we, we bill a flat rate. I'll tell you flat out, we're, we're not, we're not cheap. You know, we're, we're expensive, but the reason why we're expensive is because if just like what I did last night, if I have to work until two o'clock in the morning to get something, you know, fixed for you, I'm going to do it. And it comes, of course, like you mentioned, it comes with a slew of other things like antivirus and monitoring. We do all the Windows updates. We do all the maintenance behind the scenes. We do everything to keep everything running. And, and I literally told him, I said, yeah, you might be paying me a bunch of money every month. But the fact of the matter is, look how much downtime you've had with a guy that you're charging hourly for. What costs you more, the downtime or my bill? You know, and then he started to kind of understand that um, that it's more important to do it that way. And really, I also tell clients, I say, look, it's, it's this simple. With all the clients that we've got, I need to know that you have a solid IT budget and you're going to take this seriously because I don't want a client that's not going to take their security and their IT stuff seriously. I'll tell you a funny story about that in a minute, why I made that decision. But on the flip side, I have to make sure that I have enough reoccurring revenue to make sure that I have all the right guys hired you know, to do the job, to make sure that every avenue of what they need is going to be covered, you know, regardless of what it is. And my funny story is that I picked up a client probably five, six years ago that had Dutch porn all over his server. He had been breached. Nobody knew it. I found it, found everything out. And then I said, I need to fix all this. He wouldn't let me fix it. He didn't, he didn't want the bill. And this is a doctor's office and they're still running in Southern Illinois today. And I said, I will, I was like, if you're not going to let me fix this server and like secure this, then I'm just literally walking away because I'm not, I'm not putting my hands on that train wreck, you know, but um, so then that's why I make sure people have a solid budget, you know, so anyway. And, and how often um, is your first experience with a new customer that, that, that um, you know, dumpster fire that you're called in to fix, and then that develops into uh, a support contract in a years-long relationship. Is that kind of how things happen? Most most of the time, okay. um, because in all reality, if some other IT company or some other person is doing their job, there's probably not a need for us to be there. In all reality, okay. Um, the the biggest thing is out of all the IT companies in Southern Illinois. We're the largest by far. We're, we're three times larger than the closest competitor. We have probably 10 times more business than the, the, all of the competitors. And I know that we're doing more as far as our services and our offerings, as far as being an MSP, we're doing more than any of the other companies are, are doing. Like take the Sentinel One, the ransomware protection and whatnot. I know of a, of a quote unquote competitive company that doesn't use that at all. They have no idea what it is. Well, how are you not selling this? How are you not pushing this to your clients? How are you not? It's the creme de la creme of, you know, security software. Why aren't you trying to use it? You know, and I recently took one of one of my competitors clients that they were, they were charging this client $150 a month for basic um, like monitoring and they would build them hourly. 
we took them on at $1,400 a month with unlimited support and the customer was tickled happy, you know? So we just do things differently. We do things a lot stronger, I think. So. And if you, if, if it wasn't working, you wouldn't be where you're at in Southern Illinois with, with that success story that follows you. Um, yeah. Like I said, most of the time we do come in when it's a, when a, there's some pretty major problems going on. There have been times that people have heard about like our virtual desktop hosting and they have wanted to join it and they've just wanted to leave their IT company because nobody else offers that service down here. Only we do, you know? Um, so then they've, they've just had it with buying all kinds of crap all the time. So they, they wanted to go into this environment. So we've had a few of those happen, but most of the time it's because some other company doesn't show up. Some other company's not doing their job or they find out that backups haven't been going off for a month or something. I mean, it's, it's always some major negative reason as to why we get pulled in. Um, and in this case, with this client I'm dealing with right now, it's, it's clear that whoever was managing this network, the network basically got away from them and it's bigger than what they know how to handle, you know? So that's simply what it is. So. And, and that's not an uncommon occurrence, you know, and, and, and it's and it's because you have situations like like here, even on campus, you've got LAN admins who are actually, you know, office managers who were given the LAN admin role and things like that. And 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 as the years go by, more and more stuff gets added to the purview of administration you know, responsibilities, yeah. more devices more accounts, more cloud services, all that type of stuff. Um, how do you think things have changed in the last, uh, since, since you graduated? Um, are, what are the big things that you have seen change and what do you think is like the most interesting um, in the tech sense that, that you're you know, kind of passionate about learning and working with? Well, I'll tell you the biggest thing that's changed the most is network security that's the biggest thing that's changed. Um, you know, we still have roles in Windows servers that existed when NT4 existed, yeah. you know? Yep. Um, granted, we can do a lot of cool tricks these days, you know, and the hardware is better, you know, we can do virtualization and, and clustering and all kinds of stuff like that, which is a lot of fun. We do a lot of remote desktop stuff, which for me is a lot of fun, but the networking side is what's changed the most. Like take our government clients, we land a government client, um, gosh, everything from, again, the, the Sentinel-1 stuff to VLANing off every department. So every department's in their own scope and their own VLAN, and they can only talk to their specific server that they have that's sitting in a Hyper-V cluster because we don't want the departments to talk because it's a security thing that we should not let the other departments talk from one another. Um, it, it comes down to the whole uh, like voter registration side of these networks where now we have to have additional VLANs and dedicated internet feeds to simply take everything through the state's network because they're trying to be secure with our elections, right? Um, network security for sure. Like right now you've got insurance companies that are pushing, uh, you have to have something like Sentinel-1, you have to have dual factor authentication. And they're basically telling companies, if you don't have those two things, we are not gonna cover you at all as far as your cyber insurance is concerned. Basically forcing everybody into it. and. Uh, and, so that's pretty interesting. And I, so that we, we, we haven't talked about this in this class. It's more for our enterprise, but there is, you know, the topic of cyber insurance is, is pretty big, but 
even your general kind of like umbrella liability policies for businesses that cover everything have some cyber related stuff as part of them now. I've, I've seen um, a lot of them are actually, the insurance companies are now actually cutting that out of the general policy and forcing businesses to have a dedicated cyber insurance policy, okay. something that they can charge extra for, you know, uh, because it's, it's still, no matter what, it's the wild, wild west of data, okay? And so I think the insurance companies, it's really just a money-making scheme for them. But I'd say in the last six months, I've had probably 20 or 30 clients come to me and we have to fill out all the forms for their cyber insurance. And they're saying that the general insurance is not covering them anymore. Not going to do it. Yeah, yesterday so. we had a guy who, uh, a grad um, who is in IT governance for, for a mortgage company. Uh -huh. So he's doing those audits. Um, <laughs> similar, so that, that's interesting. That's not something I would have thought about you having to do the insurance um, audit type thing in order to uh, uh, help your customers. Um, that's something that's something new. Yeah, we, we do. We because they get these forms and they don't know they don't know what anything means on there. Do you run dual factors? Right. How are your backups configured? You know, they, they don't know what any of that means. And a lot of times I have to tell a client, well, we've offered you dual factor, we've offered you Sentinel, Sentinel One, but you've declined it, and now they're gonna force you to take it. <laughs> you know, so uh, it's working out for me a little bit because you know we're getting to sell additional services for things. Um, but at the same time, it's making the world as far as supporting clients a hell of a lot more complicated. So sure. a lot more complicated. What is a day like, uh, you know, for your your average technician that works for Mayor Networks? What what does that look like? To uh, depends on their role. So we have we run a tiered system in our office. So we have our tier one guys, uh, which um, we're getting ready to. I did hire two. I remember I, I'd asked you to to let people know we were hiring, but I did hire two. Now I'm ready for another one, and uh, so. The tier one guys, their job essentially is to answer the phones, make tickets, and help with those quick 10, 15 minute things. It could be password resets, my printer's not working, scanner. It's the small little annoyances. And frankly, that's probably 80 to 90% of, uh, of what we have to do in, in tier one. It's, it's really overall, it's just little problems. We don't have we don't have big problems. We don't have, oh gosh, the network is down or the server is down. We, we just don't, I'm going to knock on wood here, but we don't have those issues. Okay. Um, so that's what their role is. Help out with the small fixes. If they can't help out with something, then it gets shuffled up into tier two. In tier two, we have multiple teams. And in the teams, what they do, uh, there's different walks of life on every single team. So you've got your networking guy, you've got your team lead, you've got uh, basically an on-site technician, um, and sometimes two on-site technicians, depending on the team. Um, and their job is they've got a set amount of clients that they're supposed to do work for. So tickets come up to tier two. And if they've got to go on site or if it's a hiring thing like server modification, something that has to happen, or if it's a project, whatever the case may be, then the tier two people handle it. Um, when it gets into tier three, that's where there's two guys. Um, and I'm kind of one of them. But there's two guys that basically can handle pretty much anything you throw at them. Doesn't matter what it is. And then when you know when everything really hits the fan, that's me when you get into tier four. And so, but I'm basically doing work all day long. Like I mentioned tonight, I'm for the last 24 hours I've been rescuing this Microsoft Exchange server. And no, I could have passed this off and let one of the the tier three guys probably handle it and do it just fine. But 
and it's been a while since I've uh, fixed a majorly broken Microsoft Exchange server. So I was like, no, let's do it. So, um, so I'm deciding to do it myself. Um, in a nutshell, that's pretty much what each kind of role does. And of course, you know, like I mentioned, we have our branding side, we have project manager, we have an office manager um, that, that keeps everything straight. But in a nutshell, that's what each one of the teams actually do. So one thing I keyed in on was um, you're talking about the tier one people and you said that you don't have big problems. You don't have networks down. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because you have those contracts that people use and, and, and pay you so that you keep things going and prevent problems from happening, right? It's, it's that, but it's a lot of standardization, okay? It, we configure our networks in a very specific way for very specific reasons. We use very specific hardware. Hardware doesn't change. Every time we get a client, we replace switches, we replace firewalls. We put in what no works and what works solidly and also things that we can manage remotely. Um, and we can also talk to clients and say, hey, you know, because of your size or your need, whatever the case may be, we need more of a redundant infrastructure. So maybe we're creating a redundant network. You know what I mean? So there's, there's reasons uh, why we, that's a lot of reasons right there alone, really just the standardization of why we don't have networks that go down. Um, we don't really have servers that go down because we take we do take care of them. We we maintain them. We do all the updates. We reboot them when necessary. We're paying attention to every aspect of what these servers are doing, and our great little MSP software kicks up and says, "Hey, we got this issue. It's now a warning. Eventually, it's going to go in. You know, it's going to go hot into a red. And we need to take care of it." Um, so that's pretty well what we do. And at the same time, you're you're always covering your ass to make sure you got proper backups of everything. You know, so. <laughs> Oh, my setup is complete. Nice. Watching that server set up. Yeah. So right. what would um, what would be the skill set for an ideal candidate to, to come starting, you know, getting out of college and associates a bachelor's degree to come work for you? What, what do you want them to know if they're going to start at the bottom and work their way up? You know, the interesting thing, uh, what I would look for actually has nothing to do with IT itself or technical abilities. Okay. It has to do with drive, the, the want to learn, the eagerness to learn. If I had three guys sitting in front of me, all come out of college. One of them says, I got a home lab. I've been buying junk hardware off eBay for 99 cents just so I can learn how a Cisco router works or mess with a physical server. That's the dude I'm going to hire. It's that simple. I don't care what he knows, what he doesn't know. He's showing a personal drive uh, to learn, to want to grow, want to do more. Because frankly, that's what I did. I was buying servers off eBay. I was reading, you know, back in the day before, before we had this huge Microsoft TechNet online. I mean, I was reading books that were 2,000 pages thick on Windows Server. You know, that's, I wanted to know. And um, that's what I look for most. Do they have a, a, a drive to want to learn? Um, if they, I don't mind me not having experience because I can teach them, especially in the tier one range, you know, tier one is, Hey, how do you install a printer? How do you, how do you load windows, right? How do you install drivers? This is all basic stuff, frankly, that they should learn in college. So I even taught because, uh, when I was in SIU, our teacher was a Mac guy. And so I ended up, uh, teaching the class on how to repel, repair, uh, repair computers. It's kind of funny. So, um, but um again i think it's more of their drive 
not so much the technical side of things. No, surely if they come in with, with a technical side, um, I certainly want to look at them more. And my office is pinging me, so let me talk to them for a second. Okay, yeah, if you, need to, cut, if you need to drop No, I'm fine. I'll, I just sent them a message online to see what they want. So okay. that, did that answer your question? Okay. Yeah, definitely. And, and I've heard that from a lot of people, you know, that, that the technology skills are important, but you, that drive the person you're hiring the person yep. to, and especially in a, in a place, I mean, you, you want somebody who's going to come and who's going to work there for the long haul and, and, and r- rise up the ranks and become that tier three person you go to when the big stuff needs to be done. Yeah. Um, and and it's also cool to kind of start them to learn your guy you mentioned standardization the way you do things you know mm-hmm. what i've come to see is that good it organizations good service providers create their own way of doing things and they do develop a standard and they build things out that's re- replicable and consistent and and tried and tested and yeah. and, and and that keeps their customers happy um I have uh, a couple of fun questions to ask, um, but first, um, anything else about your business, your your work experience, um, you know, advice for students that that you'd like to share before we get close to wrapping up? You gotta you gotta love what you do. Okay. You know, yeah, I worked till two o'clock in the morning last night, but I love being a hero. I love fixing things. And I love the smile on the client's face when I'm done. And you got to love what you do. You, you, you can't, and that goes not with just with IT, but that's with anything. You, you've got to, you've got to pine over it. You got to love it and practice it and, you know, eat, sleep and everything it, you know, um, that's just what it is. And if you, if you follow your heart like that, then I hate to make a, that ridiculous old saying, but you'll never work a day in your life if you love what you do, right? Yeah. So um, that's really what it comes down to. You've got to love it. You've got to be willing to put in the time. Um, I do see a lot of people that give resumes that have no lab, came out of SIU, haven't haven't taught themselves anymore. They'll go. They'll, I had one guy said he'll go out and play baseball um, after after work. He's looking for a job in IT, but he's not doing anything. I think he was working at like Subway or something out of SIU. And graduated from the IST department. And I'm like, why aren't you trying to learn anything on your own? Why aren't you trying to do anything on your own? He's like, oh, I'd just rather go outside and play baseball. Okay, not gonna not gonna hire you. You should be doing this on your own, you know? So, um, but uh, I think that's the biggest. You gotta love it. Gotta so. love it. Um, I imagine that having been doing this, you know, and, and one, of the, one of the aspects of, of the, the company that you run is that you get to see a ton of different customers and you get to learn uh, about a ton of different industries and businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when fixing computers and going on site back in the day, some cr- pretty interesting stuff that I found. I, me- I remember finding one computer that had stopped working because they had left a PCI slot cover on the back off and a mouse came in there and, and, and had babies. Uh-huh. So. Um, anything that sticks out in your mind, funny, unique, interesting, scary customer experiences over the last 20 some years that, you know, stuck in your brain. I, re- I remember another one 
that was back when I was, you know, it was probably in the 97, 98, getting a college student's computer that was so covered in like film and and um, grease that was the weed smoke. He must have just smoked pot all day long next to this computer and sucked it in the intake, and it made the you know the it 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 made the the IT shop smell like the you know the lot of a Grateful Dead show or something. Yeah. Um, anything that comes to mind? Anything fun or? I think the well, the kind of one I just mentioned was that that doctor's office that had the Dutch porn all over their, all over their server. That one was, that was an interesting one. And frankly, I don't think since then I've seen, I've seen anything quite as funny. Um, I have walked into a few environments where the previous MSP wasn't actually doing their job and they weren't backing things up and raid controllers fail and you lose multiple virtual servers at one time. I've seen that. I've seen having to send off hard drives to ESS data recovery out of St. Louis and pray to God that they could build your raid, you know, and at the tune of tens of thousands of dollars because somebody wasn't doing a job. And, uh, but as far as funny, yeah, I think the Dutch porn one probably took the cake. <laughs> so I, I worked at, um, the, uh, Morris library for a time. Uh, I wasn't, I was, I was just an employee there. I wasn't a student at SIU, but I worked there 2000, 2001 sometime. And one of the things that was weird there was every morning, one of my jobs was when, when we were opening up, I guess, sort of coming in and checking the computers and shutting down and rebooting the ones that people had browsed and intentionally left porn up on the screen for you to find. Turned off the monitor, left something up on the screen so that when you turn the monitor on to see what the status is, you'd be shocked. And that was one of the weird things that we ex we experienced that I experienced at uh, at that particular job. And you yeah. know that that was before we had a lot of these great you know deep freeze and and virtual desktops and things that would prevent stuff like that from happening. And yeah. nobody had to have a, an account to log on. You could just do whatever the heck you want. Walk into the library, use the internet as much as you want. No ID, no logins or anything. Free. Yeah. All right. I'll um. I got five. Give me, give me two seconds. I have to answer this. Question. Sure thing. Hello. Hello. Sorry. About that. No problem. So we'll we'll wrap up. I have five of these uh, fun questions that I ask. Shoot. Uh, to what's your favorite food, restaurant, or cuisine? Food is always pizza. I never met a pizza I didn't like. Can, uh, can you go into more details as another pizza lover? Favorite, oh, favorite favorite places what's your favorite pizza place what's your favorite pizza pags and quattros okay and it, it depends it depends on the mood because frankly i like all pizza it doesn't matter where it comes from um pags and quattros are my, are my favorite but every now and then you feel like a papa john's or you feel like a little caesar so you, you know you gotta you gotta mix it up a little bit they're all they're all great in their own right you know what i'm saying all right unfortunately we don't have papa john's here anymore so we're kind of screwed on that one i, I missed the uh the garlic dip, you know? So, okay. Okay. I'm with you on this. And I, I love the Chicago style pizza. And so I, whenever we get back up to Chicago, uh, we make a pizza, you know, um, field trip, I guess. Uh, we, yeah. We, we try the, the, our favorites. Um, <laughs> what about, um, are there any podcasts, books, movies, TV shows about technology that you've seen recently or, or, or have really enjoyed or would recommend? any type of media. We have an assignment coming up um, about media and I look for 
suggestions from our, our speakers? Not, I mean, not really. I'm, I'm heavily into cryptocurrencies. I actually, I day trade them. I, I invest in it, you know, yada, yada, yada. So a lot of the podcasts or videos that I watch are kind of related to that, whether okay. it be tr you know, trading it. Um, I'm also a miner. You know, I've got uh, 60 something GPUs that are running in my basement right now that in the wintertime keep my house hot. <laughs> okay. So um, now the technology side, not really too much else because I, I tend to, you kind of get to the point where you've been around long enough that I wouldn't say you know everything, but everything you deal with on a daily basis, you pretty well already know and mastered. So there's not too terribly much more for you to learn unless it's, you know, like when Sentinel-1 came around. Yeah, we had to learn it. Dual factor. Okay, we have to figure out how we want to use it and deploy it, right? But Windows Server hadn't changed that much, <laughs> you know, so... Yeah. What were any any of the crypto podcasts you want to drop names on? I, I'm I'm into that too, and I'd like to. Um, yeah. So let me uh, let me pull up a couple here. There's a guy called Green Star Trading uh, that I like. So I, I'm an Elliott Wave trader. I'm actually um, I've taken a bunch of Elliott Wave tests, and technically I'm a certified Elliottitian, and um, I enjoy it a lot. Uh, I'm part of a group called Trade Devils. Um, they do offer like educational courses and stuff like that to learn Elliott wave and support resistance, yada, yada, yada. Um, they have like a pretty neat belt system that you go through with your training and, um, you start at one level and you work your way up and I'm, I'm second from the highest right now. Okay. And uh, it's kind of cool. Um, let's see what else here. Oh, there's a, for, for the mining side, if you like that kind of stuff, there's a guy by the name of Red Panda on YouTube that makes some very interesting rigs and always has some cool hardware and come up with new designs, um, of, you know, for the rigs and whatnot. Okay. I might share that in our discord. Did I lose my internet? We still, we uh, still got you. Okay, there we go. Um, another guy I like a lot. Um, he doesn't do, he does like long-term TA stuff, but his name is Benjamin Cohen. Um, and of course, who doesn't watch Linus Tech Tips? I mean, come on. If you don't watch Linus Tech Tips, you know, everybody, every every IT person has to watch that guy. So. All right. I'll, I'll make sure I put that in our links. <laughs> yeah. All right. Question three is, and you kind of mentioned something about this, but is there a technology you would really like to learn or get your hands on or play with that maybe you haven't yet or is it on on the on your radar either personally or uh you know professionally i always wanted to do something more with robotics but i'm not a programmer oh, okay you know so uh i i can't stand programming i took it at siu and i yeah i could make stuff but it, it was just so boring to me i just couldn't do anything with it so it, you know i i I'm, I'm in that same um boat with you i I had to revisit um, after starting teaching here, one of my, I, I wanted to do some refreshing on Java. And so I, I picked out the final project for my Java two course in undergrad. And mm -hmm. I was looking at it, you know, eight years after I'd done it probably. And I saw on the comment field to the professor, dear professor, whatever, this is the absolute last programming I will ever do in my life, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> love Tom or something like that. And I saw yeah. that as I was going back to try to relearn Java. And I thought you were wrong about that one, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Forget it. Yep. Forget um, it. 
Okay, next question, four or five. How do you think your role or career will change over the next five to 10 years? I can tell you the biggest thing that scares me about the IT industry. Okay. It's the cloud. Okay. Microsoft is now getting to the point where they're getting too big as far as everything that they're doing. You know, between, you got Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and all their clouds, right? Well, for instance, Microsoft Exchange is going by the wayside at some point. They're not going to have another version. As a matter of fact, they haven't actually even released 2022 yet. Uh, there's no, not even been any talk of it. What scares me is that the future for technicians is going to be more of how do you use a website and how do you use some interface that somebody has given you to do something as opposed to having to deal with Microsoft Exchange directly on your own and database failures in the middle of the night. You know, rather than everything being handed to you with this bow, it's it almost feels like the world is taking the technician out of being a technician. And they're just a glorified user that knows how to find the special spots on the web pages that do the certain things they need. Exactly. That's really and interesting. I think, and I think that's, and I, I know that's where we're heading uh, because, you know, for instance, Microsoft is now offering uh, virtual desktops, right? Same thing that I do. You can, you can go into AWS and all these other things in Azure and you can spin up servers. You can spin up everything. You don't have to deal with the hardware anymore. You don't have to deal with high availability anymore. Sure, you got to know how the internal guts of the server are going to function and what you're going to do. But man, with all of this constant cloud stuff, there's businesses out there that don't have servers that just use miscellaneous websites for doing their jobs. And that's just really going to cut out the IT person from being an IT person. So you'll have think, to, to be an IT person, you'll have to go to those backend data centers that are uh, Silicon Valley, or now they're putting them out in Wyoming and places like that. So that's yeah. an interesting, that's an interesting vision. Thank you. All right. That's last one, knows. last question. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to, if you were to retire today and money was no object, you could do anything in the world you wanted, what would you do? Where would you go? I already know the answer to this. Okay. I would move to Orlando, Florida and be a bus driver at Disney World. Okay. Yeah. For, it's for the tips, right? That's why you go? Uh, it's, it's, it's not really the, the tips. It's the, <laughs> okay. So my, my wife is a Disney princess unless she gets her Hogwarts letter. That's how it goes. Okay. And we have been to <laughs> Disney World maybe 26 times in the last 12 years. Okay. And we go at least twice a year down to Orlando. I love the atmosphere. I love the scenery. I love how at Disney World, it's all about customer service. It's all about how everybody's a cast member. It's all about you're putting on a production every day. And I've always thought to myself, you know, when I retire, you know, if, if I've got money when I return, I don't have to worry about it. I would, I would love to go down there and drive a bus, see kids getting on off the bus. It's the greatest time of their life. You know what I mean? The adults are trying to have fun. You know what I mean? Uh, and just drive a bus and be able to talk to all kinds of different people all day long. I, I'm a talker. You know, I like to just BS with people and then have a good time. And I think that would be fun, you know. Plus, you can get into Disney World for free, you know. So at that point, I save money in all reality, you know. So you're, you're, yeah, you're paying yourself back in Space Mountain rides. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, I, I went to Disneyland in, in the end of April um, uh -huh. with my family. We spent a couple nights on the park premises while my wife was at a work conference, and so I have oh. gone through that experience recently. It's, it's, yeah. it's like no, it's like no other. It really is. Yeah. We're, we are leaving in about three weeks. We have 
two days at Disney World, then we have a nine-day Disney cruise, and then we're coming back to Orlando for two days at Universal, and then we come home. So, wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, on that note, I will say thank you, James. It has been great talking to you. I'm going to turn off the...